Let's open up. So Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Now, I want to remind us, before we get into this text too deeply, why we are studying the book of Acts over these last couple of months. And by the way, we'll be in it for quite a while. Acts is a long book, and we're moving pretty slow. The last couple of months, we've been in the book of Acts, and I, and I want to remind us why that is. What are we doing in the book of Acts? What are we hoping for as a church as we study the book of Acts? Well, we're noticing this pattern, and I hope you're noticing it if you've been with us for, um, for some time. We're noticing a pattern in the book of Acts where, where he, here's what ha- seems to happen. It seems to be a three-step process, okay? Here's, here's the first step. The believers in the church gather together for prayer. Okay, that's step one. The believers in the church gather together for prayer. We've probably seen that many, many times happening. Step two is as a result of prayer, comes the filling of the Holy Spirit, okay? The supernatural filling of the Spirit happens as a result of prayer. And all of a sudden, there is empowerment and there is boldness. And then step three happens, the spreading of the kingdom of God. Okay, so step one, they pray. Step two, the filling of the Spirit happens because of prayer. And step three, the gospel goes out. And then as Jesus said, through Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And, and we've made no bones about the fact that what we're, what we're hoping for, what we're longing for, is to see Acts continue in our day. We, we, we've shared with you, Pastor Chris has shared with you multiple times, that we believe this can happen. We believe that the believers can gather, and in a special way, the Holy Spirit can fall, and the gospel will go out to Glendora and San Dimas and Claremont, and I'm sorry if I didn't mention your city, but to the ends of the earth. That's what we're longing for. That's why we're in this book together. And what we're seeing now in chapter 8, starting in verse 26, with Philip and this Ethiopian, in some sense is not new, is it? 
The gospel has been preached now for eight chapters. We've been seeing different people get saved. We saw 3,000 people in chapter 2 come to Jesus because of Peter's sermon. And here is just one story about one particular individual here in Acts chapter 8. So in many ways, it's kind of like, well, what's the big deal? We've seen thousands come. What's the big deal with this guy? Well, there are some great reasons of why it's here, and we're going to get to that in a minute. But what I want us to see in this story this morning is that Philip, being a man filled with the Holy Spirit, has overcome what I see in the text is five hurdles to sharing the gospel. There are five things in the way of Philip as he is trying to be obedient and share the gospel that Philip just leaps over. And I think that we're going to find those five things are common in our lives as well. And there's some of the reasons why we often hesitate in being obedient to God in sharing with other people about Jesus and what happened. So we're going to get into that. But before we do, before we get there, before we even get into the text, I want to make sure we're clear on one thing, okay? I want to make sure we're clear on what it means to share the gospel, okay? Crystal clear, all right? So I'm going to tell you a story that I believe is going to capture what it means to share the gospel. Let's imagine that there was a, a wicked kingdom, and that kingdom was ruled by a wicked king, and let's say that that wicked kingdom was, was over here. And there was a good kingdom ruled by a good king, and that kingdom was over here. And right in the middle, on the boundary line of the two kingdoms, was the small town of Glendora. And because Glendora was situated on the border of the wicked kingdom and the good kingdom, there were people in Glendora that paid allegiance to the wicked king. And there were people in Glendora that paid allegiance to the good king. And one day, there were murmurings in the town. There were rumors being spread about armies on the move. And the word was beginning to go out that the good king was coming to attack the wicked king. Somewhere out there in the boundary lands, miles away from Glendora, and Glendora was going to be in the balance. The winner of the battle would reign over Glendora. And so people began to share and talk, and they were scared, and there was a lot of nervousness. Nobody went out to the battle for fear of their lives, but they could hear in the distant armies preparing for battle and the thump, thump, thump of marching. What's going to happen? What's going on? Now you are on the side of the good king, and you're one of the members of his army. And when the battle happens, you bravely fight, and the good king wins triumphantly and destroys the army of the evil king, sending him back to his capital city. And at the end of the battle, when it's all over, the good king looks at you and says, I want you to be my herald to the town of Glendora. Now, let me clarify what a herald is, if you're not clear. A herald was someone who ran ahead of a king to declare the news about the battle before the king came in triumphantly to the town, okay? 
And you get the honor of being the town herald. So he gives you kind of the the basics of, of what to say. And he says, okay, now go. And you run. And you run ahead of the army. And the town of Glendora sees you running. They see you coming from the battlefield. And as you come, you they kind of have already gathered a crowd around you to hear what you have to say. And what you declare to them in that moment is you say, the good king has won the battle. And the wicked king has run away. He's retreated. Glendora is in the hands of the good king. But that's not all. And you turn and you look out in the faces of the people who were previously allegiant to the wicked king. And you say to them, the king has an offer for you. If you would lay down your weapons and you would swear allegiance to him, he will offer you full pardon and welcome into his kingdom. And the people are taken aback at first, and some respond immediately to that news. Those who are already in the kingdom of the good king rejoice, and those who are in the wicked kingdom, they're kind of mixed. They're not sure what to do. They're kind of on their heels. But what happens is days go by, and the good king doesn't come. And then they begin to say to you, you know what? I think you're lying. I don't think the good king did win that battle. If he would, where is he? And they begin to persecute you. And they begin to call you a liar. And they begin to shame you in the town. And your only response is to say, this is what the king told me to say. I am not lying. I swear to you that I am telling you the truth. Join Join with him because if he comes and you have not yet sworn allegiance to him, it's too late. And they hate you for it. Now, that, in a sense, is sharing the gospel. It's declaring the news about Jesus and what he did. The battle took place on the cross, the victory took place at the resurrection. And we are heralds, if you will, to a mixed town of people saying to them, lay down your weapons and come swear allegiance to the true king. He is your king. And we face with the same kind of persecution and mixed reviews, don't we? Don't we? And it makes it hard. It makes it difficult. In fact, it makes us want to shy away from our task as heralds. It makes us want to go, you know what? Maybe somebody else should go. I I just am not cut out for this. And yet the king has looked directly at each and every one of us if we are believers and said to us, you are my herald. So what we're going to see in our text is Philip being faithful despite the hurdles that are in his way And as we see that, we're going to stop at those hurdles and we're just going to call them out for what they are. Let's be honest about the hurdles that are in our way. And let's see if the Lord doesn't have something for us this morning when it comes to overcoming those hurdles and actually being faithful in proclaiming the gospel. So let's jump into our text. 
If you're taking notes, here's the main point of the text, okay? Here's the main point. Philip demonstrates that being filled with the Spirit can overcome the many hurdles we experience to sharing the gospel. He demonstrates that being filled with the Spirit can overcome the many hurdles we experience to sharing the gospel. Philip was a man filled with the Spirit, and that's what we're going to find. Okay, let's look at hurdle number one. Okay, hurdle number one in Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Look at it with me. We're going to call this first hurdle, who has time to stop and listen? Who has time to stop and listen? Chapter 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south. Okay, an angel of the Lord said to Philip in verse 26. Now look down at verse 29. Put your eyes on that text. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. Philip, at the, in this story, receives two different commands. One from an angel, and I've got to be honest, I have no concept for what that looked like or what he experienced in that moment. But, but one comes from an angel, but the other I, I feel a little bit more sense with, I feel like I can understand a little bit more, the Spirit said. Now, the Spirit said to Philip, that is going to require for the Spirit to be um, speaking to Philip and Philip to be hearing that Philip has actually taken time to listen to the voice of the Spirit. And often, if we're honest, the reason that we, we, we don't share the gospel more is because we are so busy going about our lives that we don't take the time to stop and listen to God. What is he calling us to do? Where does he want me to go? Who does he want me to talk to? What does he want me to say? But we don't think about any of that. We're just next thing, next thing, next thing, next thing, and we're just going. And I experience this often in my life to my own shame and frustration that I just am going to the next thing rather than stopping and going, Lord, speak to me right now. What would you, what would you have me do? So, so here is Philip listening carefully and responding in obedience to what the Spirit calls him to do. Um, I remember it was 1998, and I was, it was a week after I became a Christian, that I was on the football field, I was on the football team, and they had asked me to receive the kickoff. So I'm back there receiving, ready to receive the kickoff. I catch the ball, and I take a step to my left, and I realize right away as I take a step to my left that that lane is not open. There are people coming at me from that side, and they've already in, broken through my, my guards kind of in front of me, and they're coming at me. And so as I take a step to my left, I go, I better shift to the right. And I take a step to my right, and I plant my foot really firmly into the ground just as off to my blind side without me noticing one of the big linebackers on the team dives at my knees. And my knee did something that a knee is not supposed to do. And I went down and tried to pop back up, and I went, oh, no. And that thing swelled up to about three times its normal size. And for the next six weeks, I was basically on my back. I had a torn ACL, and whatever I thought of my NFL career, it was, was in... <laughs> It was in, yeah, it was done for. So, so, but here's what was happening. A week after, and I didn't realize this till later, a week after I had become a Christian, God was going to teach me something, and it was a hard lesson, but he was going to teach me something about stopping, slowing down, and listening to him. 
I was forced. I was on my back. I was a brand new Christian. I was just reading my Bible, praying, listening to him, going, Lord, what do you want me to do today? What, what am I supposed to do? And then all of a sudden, what I noticed that is that God was sort of speaking. I know to some of you, that's going to sound really weird, okay? You go, what do you mean he was speaking to you? And I don't mean that it was an audible voice. I mean that even as I was just reading the text, as I was spending time in the Word, impressions were coming into my heart and going, like, yeah, yeah, that, feel, that, feels like, that feels right. That feels like, okay, you want me to go do that? Okay, I'm going to go do that. And all of a sudden, I noticed that my evangelism in my brand new faith, right, one week, my evangelism increased during that time because I was just simply in a mode of kind of listening. Where do, where do you want to go, God? And, and I'm, I'm ashamed to say I wish I had remembered that lesson throughout the rest of my life. And it's been 20 years. I've been a Christian now 20 years. And there are times where I, I just get so overly busy that I am not listening to the voice of God. And this is a big key component to evangelism, believe it or not. Will we listen? Will we hear God in what he's actually telling us to do? Because sometimes he's giving us that inside information to say, go here, be at this place at this time, and here's what I want you to say. Boy, how easy if it was like that, right? But we oftentimes aren't listening for it. So, hurdle number one is that busyness. Who has time to stop and listen? And, and, and it's busyness that oftentimes will take us um, from, from evangelism. Let's look at hurdle number two. Hurdle number two I'm calling, but it's hot out there, okay? But it's hot out there. Let's look at Acts chapter 8, verse 26 again. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Do you, do you ever wonder, I mean, does that just sound weird that all of a sudden that gets thrown in there? This is a desert place, okay? Except, here's something interesting. I'm going to go a little Greek on you for a second, okay? But, but bear with me, okay? Um, the words, look down at the words in verse 26, go toward the south. Now, believe it or not, the exact same Greek words could also mean go at about noon. So go toward the south, go at about noon are the exact same words in Greek. So we actually don't know how to translate this verse. Most of your Bibles have guessed, go toward the south. But if it's go at about noon, what does that say about the fact that he then says, this is a desert place? It's in the desert at noon. And by the way, this is an area of Israel. I have been to this area it can get up to, and it was while we were there, 116 degrees. The, the, the record is 118, okay? 116 degrees at noon, and this just speaks to our, our, our comforts, right? This is, this is the Holy Spirit calling Philip to step out of, and I won't say air-conditioned, it definitely wasn't that, step out of the shade if you will, and go into the baking hot sun to stand by a road and go, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> this is uncomfortable, incredibly, for him. But here's what we're going to find, is that over and over again, when God is calling us to, to share the gospel, it's often getting out of our comfort zone that actually gets us into the place where people are where the gospel can be shared. For some of you, this will happen in the extreme, and you may go to the ends of the earth, literally. You may go to a different country because those are the places, not here, that have never heard the gospel. 
And for others of you, it's the, it's, and we'll talk about the social discomfort in a minute, but it's the discomfort of even just getting up, oh, I gotta get out of my house. I gotta not just drive right into my garage and shut the door. I actually have to get out and like talk to my neighbors and, and do things like this. These are uncomfortable things for us. Let's just call it out. But God is oftentimes working in these moments. He's actually, he's actually wants us to be out of our comfort zone when we're doing these things. My, my, um, my mom was a flight attendant all her life, so I got to fly for free. But that oftentimes meant that I uh, uh, would fly standby. So uh, you, you, fly, you get a seat if they have a seat, but if not, you just wait until the next flight. And so you never know when you're getting home. That's part of the whole thing of flying standby. It's kind of fun if you like that kind of thing. But <laughs> what, I, what I noticed about my times flying standby is that, is that there would be times where I would just be just sulking because I had missed three flights in a row and I would have to spend the night then in the, in the, in the airport. And that's just not fun. And I would just go, oh, God, what are you doing? And there was that still small voice that would oftentimes come to me in those moments. And he was so gracious to do this, but he would say, JD, I have somebody for you to talk to on that fourth flight. And sure enough, there would be this meaningful, powerful, gospel conversation that would just sort of spring up from this person who is like the Ethiopian, just kind of wanting to know, you know, I was reading the Bible, and what do you think about this verse? I mean, you could not give a, a more, like, perfect setup than that. And those would oftentimes be the situations. And so we, we get so we get so consumed with, oh, I didn't make my appointment. I didn't, I didn't get there on time. I didn't... What if our, our perspective was more, God, who do you have me to talk to? It's clear that I, I'm not supposed to be here at, this, at that moment. I thought I was, so, but I am now. So who do you want me to talk to here? Imagine how that would change our, our behavior and our, our perspective on things. So, so this hurdle of, of just, I'm uncomfortable. I don't like missing things. I don't like being late. I don't like the heat. I don't like whatever it is. Hurdle number three, let's, let's look down at our text. Hurdle number three is this. I'm calling it, they're all going to laugh at me, okay? Hurdle number three, they're all going to laugh at me because as uncomfortable as it might be to go out into the heat, let's be honest, for many of you in this room, social uncomfortability is a hundred times worse. To be uncomfortable socially is way harder for me to to bear than to be uncomfortable physically. And I just want you to notice this little, little thing in, in chapter 8 will be in verse 30. Little thing that says, uh, starting in verse 30, so Philip ran to him. You notice that? Ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. So the Spirit has called Philip now to this point to stand by the road, and he waits, and here comes a chariot being pulled by horses, and it's driving by him on the road. Okay? So to get this guy's attention in the chariot, Philip has got to run. How many of you would feel comfortable doing that? The prelude to your gospel conversation is, I've got to run to catch up with this person. I'm looking like a fool. I'm not looking Instagram cool right now. You know what I'm saying? And so, so not only that, but in those days, to, to, you, they wore these dress things. So to, you had to kind of, they called it girding up your loins. You had to grab your skirt right? And you had to pull it up and you had to kind of high step 
run, right? And so here he is holding his skirt and running alongside the chariot, okay? So I can guarantee you this. If this were me, okay, Pastor Stephen Coppenrath would be in the bushes somewhere just by chance having his phone, and he would be Instagramming me because that's what he does, okay? So, so I... I this, this is not what you want to be caught on, on tape. You know what I'm saying? And so, so for us, it, talking to people and having them go, and, and, and then you're trying to get into that, okay, you're making small talk, and then you're sharing, and you're going to drop, okay, well, so what do you think about Jesus? And then they kind of go, oh, I, I know where you're going with this. And they kind of give you this raised eyebrow, like, really? You're going to give me that spiel? You're going to give me that sales pitch. And it just makes you go, oh, inside. Because you go, I, I just, I feel so, I feel so rejected. I just feel so, like, so, I, I feel like this person is just rejecting me. And I, I think what we just have to remember in all of this is that, is that the the first and foremost issue that every person that doesn't know Jesus has is their rejection of Jesus, okay? First and foremost, they are rejecting Jesus. And if they decide to just give you a slew of cuss words and to say, get out of my face, and you feel that rejection, you will, you'll feel it. Know that that rejection is first and foremost towards God. And what that does is it makes you go, God, I'm praying for them. No, I don't want them to be, to reject God like this. I don't want that. And it, and it changes our heart from, from pity to, to, ooh, no, I feel awful. I feel, why did I do this? Okay, and so, so just a verse that comes to mind. In their case, this is, this is those who don't believe. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So when our rejections happen, and they will, when we're sharing, it, it, it is because they have first and foremost rejected God. And I think he would want us to know this. He tells Moses at one point, they haven't rejected you, Moses. They've rejected me. Keep that in your mind as you think about, oh, the social implications of this. Hurdle number four. Hurdle number four. I'm calling hurdle number four. You want me to talk to who? Okay? You want me to talk to who? So let's get into who is this person in the chariot. Uh, read with me starting in verse 27. And he rose, that's Philip. Philip rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Okay, so there's three things that we are going to learn in this passage about this guy. The first is that he's an Ethiopian. Okay? Now, here is something so cool about the book of Acts. Are you ready? Ethiopia... Okay, and first of all, if you go and you look today at, at modern-day Ethiopia, that's not where the ancient kingdom of Ethiopia was. It was actually a little bit further north, okay? But the ancient kingdom of Ethiopia was known. It was known to people in that day, and there was an ancient historian by the name of Herodotus, okay? Herodotus. And here's what Herodotus said about Ethiopia, the ancient kingdom of Ethiopia. He says, Where the south declines toward the setting sun lies the country called Ethiopia, the last inhabited land 
in that direction. Now I ask you, if you've been following with us in the book of Acts, does that ring a bell for you? The last inhabited land in that direction. We have seen the gospel spread out from Jerusalem, spread into the surrounding regions, what we would call Judea, spread into, just last week, Samaria, and now an Ethiopian that Herodotus says Ethiopia is the last known place on the planet in that direction, an Ethiopian has now believed. Luke is taking us through, step by step, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The gospel is going to the ends of the earth. Think about it. This guy is going to take the gospel back to Ethiopia. Okay, but here is what you can know if you are sharing the gospel with somebody that to you is at the ends of the earth. Here's what you know. They're not like you. They are not like you. If they are from the ends of the earth, and that means that you're identifying yourself as sort of the center of the earth, and, and, and I'm not going to get into whether that's good or bad or what we should do there, but by definition, if you're at the center, they're at the ends, you're not from the same place, okay? They have different culture, different customs. They look differently than you. Making small talk with them is like, oh, what do we talk about? I don't know. It, it's, it's, it's hard, right? And so you go, ah, oh, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I'd rather share with people that are more like me, right? Here's the other thing that we know about him. He's a eunuch. Anybody know what that means? Okay. He's a eunuch, meaning that he has been castrated. Now, why is that important? Well, Philip is a Jew. This thing is still a Jewish thing, right? It's still happening in Jerusalem and spreading out from there. And guess what? In the temple in Jerusalem, you cannot enter it if you've been castrated. So, so this guy is an Ethiopian. He's from a very different place. And he's also in many ways a castaway. He's somebody that has not been accepted formally into the Jewish faith at all. He's an outcast socially at least in that area, right? At least in the, the area that Philip was. So, whoa, then not only does this guy look differently than me, act differently than me, he's also a social outcast. But there's a third thing that we're going to learn about this Ethiopian, and, and this blows my mind, okay? The Ethiopian, we learn, is reading the book of Isaiah. What? He's reading the book of Isaiah. He's reading the Bible, but it specifically says he's reading the book of Isaiah. Now, I know that Isaiah, that it's going to give us the specific area that he was reading in, but I have a feeling, and there are other scholars have weighed in on this, that we know why he was reading the book of Isaiah and not another book of the Bible. Because why Isaiah? That seems kind of random, right? Okay, so... Here's what Isaiah says, and if you want to turn there quickly, I'm going, to, I'm going to go there. Isaiah 56, 3 through 5. Listen to what Isaiah says to this man. Isaiah 56, 3 through 5. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and, my, and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. 
Why might he have been reading the book of Isaiah? Partially because that's the book that talks to eunuchs. And what does it say to eunuchs? Here's what it says to eunuchs, the outcasts. You have a place in the kingdom of God. You have a future. And here's why. Because those who keep my covenant, even if they are eunuchs, even if they are outcasts of society for whatever reason, those who keep my covenant, they will, I will give them an everlasting kingdom. And he reads that. And, and though he's not in that text when he's talking to, to Philip, I believe he knows that verse intensely. And I believe part of him opening up Isaiah and going, what is this all about, is him essentially asking this question. Is there hope in the kingdom of God for me? I'm from a very different place than you. And I'm, according to your customs, I'm an outcast. Is there any hope for me? And what would you say to him? Now, now, before we say that, I know that this makes us uncomfortable to talk to people that are just different than us. But let me ask this. More importantly, what would your silence say to him? Effectively, your silence would say, no, there is no hope for you. Because you're not somebody that I'm going to spend my time with to show you, to give you the very hope that is there. There's a story about a pastor in the UK, in the England, and he, 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 he decides to plant a church, and he specifically tells everybody, I'm planting a church to reach um, middle class, uh, white people that kind of make, uh, with, that are with, within a certain, you know, de a demographic spectrum and socioeconomic background and all that stuff like that. I want to reach the middle class white people, okay? So he plants that church. And who God brings to him were immigrants from Africa who were coming into the UK in droves and who loved the Lord, and the church began to grow. And you know what the pastor did? He shut down the doors of the church. I mean, and, and he believed he had failed. And let me tell you, he did fail as soon as he shut the doors. Who you want to reach in your heart, and who God brings you are often entirely different. And God is saying to you, I want you to be the kind of person that says, whoever God brings to me, I will share this message. I will be that herald. I will proclaim that message. Let's look at hurdle number five. Hurdle number five, we're going to call it this, but I don't know enough. Okay, but I don't know enough. Okay, look at uh, chapter eight, verse 30. Chapter eight, verse 30. So Philip ran to him and asked to him, um, uh, and heard him reading Isaiah, the prophet, and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. 
Now put yourself for a minute in, the, in Philip's shoes sitting in that chariot. You've gone this far. You've listened to the voice of the Spirit. You've overcome the heat issue thing, right? You've overcome the fact that you have to gird up your loins and run, okay? You've gotten to the point where you're like, okay, I'm okay with this guy who's an Ethiopian. I'm here to share the gospel with him. And he opens up his Bible and he says, I have a question about this verse. And some of you right now go, that's the worst one right there. You give me something to say and I'll say it. But as soon as somebody starts asking me questions, I I don't know what to say. And this just becomes our reason for kind of backing away from the whole thing. What What if I speak some heresy to them? What if I say something wrong? These are the fears that come into our minds. And, and I, I want to be really careful here. I, the last thing I want you to hear with the words I'm about to say is that you don't need to study your Bible. That is absolutely not true. As Christians, we are to live on our Bibles. But many of us feel that we can't share the gospel unless we've been to seminary, unless we're, a, oh, I'm not a pastor. That's what the pastors do. Or I, 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 just, I just haven't been a Christian long enough to actually be able to, to communicate these things. I just want to show you something. Look at what the text says. Verse 35, Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, gave them a thorough Bible study of the book of Isaiah. And that's not at all what it says. Isn't that amazing? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. I mean, probably most of you could say, yeah, that's about Jesus. Let me tell you about him. And, and you might be, well, well, well what, what would I say? Well, remember the beginning of this? Remember the story in the beginning of this? Jesus won. He reigns over the earth. Would you lay your weapons down and would you swear allegiance to him? Would you let him be your God? And if so, you will receive full pardon for all of your past wrongs. And and if you said that, guess what? You just shared the gospel. And there are times to get into the Bible, and oftentimes the gospel will be you having your Bible open. Don't get me wrong, but that that is something we have got to set aside. It's this thing of, I don't know enough, I can't do this. If you've been a Christian one day, you know that Jesus reigns. You can proclaim that. Okay, so what do we do? We've gotten now to the point where we've, we've, we've talked about five hurdles. Okay, we've talked about the busyness hurdle, right? The, 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 I, I, I don't have time for any of this. I'm busy. We've talked about the, the lack of, the, the uncomfortable issue of it. It's hot out there. That would be uncomfortable for me. We've talked about the social uncomfortableness of it. We've talked about the, you want me to talk to who, right? I, I don't, that's somebody different from me. And now we've talked about the fact that I don't know enough. And every one of these, we have to just confess and say, yeah, but maybe that one or maybe several of them are, are me. And so what do we do now? Do we make a list and I'm going to give you, okay, you got to talk to five people this week. Okay, here you go. Make your list. Come back and talk to me next week. 
No, that's not the point of the book of Acts. And I want you to hear, I want you to feel where we have been in the book of Acts as an answer to what do we do today. Remember the pattern? The people of God gathered together to pray. Do you know what prayer is? It's a confession that I, I have those hurdles. It's a confession, God, I'm not good enough and I, I need your power because I don't have it in myself. They gather together to pray. As a result of prayer, the Holy Spirit comes upon them and fills them with power and boldness to be able to overcome the very hurdles that we're finding here in Acts chapter 8. And as a result, the kingdom of God spreads. So I want to call you to three things as we close. Number one, gather with us. This is very specific. Gather with us for prayer tonight. We meet right here in this room at 5 o'clock to pray for this exact thing. Holy Spirit, come and fill us for mission to be able to go out and spread your gospel. We are recognizing that we're weak. We're recognizing that we have these hurdles in our lives. We're recognizing that we're just not quite enough in all of these areas. Help us, God. Gather with us tonight and pray that God would empower and overcome and fill you. Simple. Number two. Stay in God's word. I can't tell you guys how often in the word we read about the word being the means by which the Holy Spirit comes and meets us, okay? The word of God is powerful, living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword, able to divide. You, can, you know the verse. It is so powerful. And, and the last thing I want to communicate is that we can just sort of set this aside and we're just going to go on our way and we're just going to sort of that's going to be our life. I'll just share the gospel. I don't need the Bible. That is absolutely patentedly false. This is how we live as Christians. Get into the Bible. If you're new to the Bible or if you want to know more about the Bible, here's a shameless plug. We are starting classes. You have the cards in front of you. We're starting classes this summer to help you on Scripture, to help you learn. What do, what do you mean study? I don't even know what it means to study the Bible. Guess what? There are classes for you. No matter what your sort of ability level or, or experience level with the Bible, we are committed to helping you with this. And number three, this is going to sound super unspiritual. Ready? Number three is just do it. Just do it. Overcome those fears and take a leap of faith and see if your week is not better this week if you share the gospel than it might not otherwise be. In other words, your joy is all of a sudden increased and you're feeling like on cloud nine. You're like, I feel good this week. I don't, why do I? Oh, yeah. I've been on mission for God this week. I've been doing what God has called me to do. This is so fun. Here, so, so here's what I'm going to say to you. Go get a raised eyebrow this week. Go get some scorn from people, you know? I don't mean be a jerk, okay? I, I don't mean throw it in somebody. I just mean you're going to get someone going, oh, really? Oh, you're going to share that with me? Go get some of that, okay? And see if it does not increase rather than decrease your joy. You will be amazed at what happens if you take a leap of faith and you step out there 
Just put yourself out there and, and say, oh, Lord, I don't know what I'm doing, but here I am. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would fill us with your spirit to do those things, Lord. I pray that we would become men and women of prayer, seeking you, the filling of you, so that we know that it's you who does these things, not us. It's not us being better. It's not us just fixing these problems. It's us relying on you to overcome our weaknesses and our foibles and our, all, of our, all of our messed upness. And God, I pray that you would make us men and women of the word, studying you, loving you, just seeking you in your word. And finally, I pray that you'd make us men and women of faith to just step out into the unknown and go, I'm going to do this this week. And then, Lord, give us good results. Even if people don't come in in droves, give us results where we can feel the joy of experiencing what it's like to be on mission for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.